Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Kyle Rodriguez, uh, along with my co-host, Scott Kazmar. Today, we'll be looking at the conference championship games coming up this weekend uh, and looking back at the four divisional round games that we had this past weekend. Uh, Talking with Scott, and uh, this wasn't exactly the most favorable uh, winners that we ended up with, but we did end up with a few really good games and uh, a few interesting storylines to talk about for the championship game. So with that, let me go ahead and bring on Scott. Uh, Scott, we've still got the Colts. Yeah, I mean, you still got the Colts, even though they're the worst team left. But, um, hey, I remember <laughs> in week one, we talked, we talked about the Colts having a good shot at a rematch with Denver, but yeah, one of the things we talked about was Robert Masses coming back, and obviously he missed the entire season. But, you know, we did kind of talk about the Colts in that second half when they kind of shut Denver down. Uh, you know, you never know. I mean, you get a rematch, you get to see a team twice, and you know, a stat I like this week I found, you know, the Colts are 12-0 and in rematches under um, Pagano and Luck. So, I mean, they see a team again, uh, the results have been pretty good. Now that only counts uh, if that rematch is in the same season, right? Because they've seen New England right. a couple times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hasn't turned out quite same quite season. Um, I know a lot. A few of those um, are AFC South matchups, so that that boosts that stat a little bit. But um, even still, kind of cool. All right. Uh, Scott, let's go ahead and start with uh, the AFC, and we'll go ahead and start with we'll just go ahead and start with the Colts Denver matchup. Uh, obviously, the Colts were the big underdogs going into Denver this week, and and rightfully so. Uh, we talked about it last week. Denver was pretty much the better team on in all phases, maybe not special teams, um, although that might not have even shown up this weekend with the Colts missing a field goal and the and the punt punt team not being uh, quite as good as they normally are. But the the Colts, I think, match up defensively pretty decent with Denver. You look at the last couple of years, they've been able to to slow Peyton uh, in, in different times uh, in both of those matchups. So for them to go out and play as well defensively as they did, I think the biggest shock for me was that they tackled as well as they did. They really didn't allow much yards after the catch at, at all in terms of on a play-by-play play basis. I got a lot of, of solid tackles, the athlete of scrimmage or just a few yards downfield. Uh, the Denver Broncos were in, you know, third and six, third and seven, it seemed like every drive. And and with Peyton's quad injury, he just was having such a hard time throwing the ball accurately down the field. And and with the Colts, you know, 
really daring them to throw down the field, it, it worked out in the Colts' favor. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a bad game plan from Denver, uh, really bad. I mean, the way you beat the Colts is really throwing short passes, and, uh, you know, their strength is those cornerbacks on the outside. And, and it's almost like Denver looked at the 2013 game in Indy and looked at what they did bad in the second and third quarters, and they tried to do it again, and it didn't work again. It was even worse. Um, you know, Manning threw 14 passes that went at least 15 yards, and they only hit two of them. A lot of them went well more than 15. I mean, I just don't get why that was the game plan at all. And, um, you know, the receivers, I think Emmanuel Sanders played pretty well. I think Demarius Thomas played a terrible game. Uh, Julius Thomas, you know, he beat LaRon Landry at the beginning of the game, but you didn't really see them go back to that. And, uh, you know, the the game's first five minutes were a perfect start for Denver, but, you know, after that, you just didn't see anything. And, the team just did not show up in this game. And, uh, you know, the running game, uh, too many one-yard carries, a lot of those third and longs. Then in the second half, they tried to throw short, and, again, Colts were all over them. And, you know, that was one of the big stories this season, as it's already been talked about, Denver's screen game. You know, teams really took that away from them this year, and they weren't a good GAC team like they were in 2013. And, you know, I think Seattle kind of showed – a lot of teams how to defend this offense. And, you know, Vontae Davis said that they copied some of that from the Super Bowl. And, you know, every time Denver played a press team the last two years, you know, they struggled to get separation and struggled to get yards after the catch. So, you know, when Manning can't make those deep throws and uh, the short stuff's not working, you end up with 13 points. And, uh, you know, it was a pretty sad fourth quarter to watch, just knowing that, you know, this could be the end of the career. And it just looked nothing like really any game, uh, especially with Denver. I mean, Denver's always scored 20 points at home under Manning. And, uh, you know, this game, it just did not look good. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of bad efforts from uh, you know, many of the star players. Like, Akeem Tlaib didn't play well. Like, he gave up seven catches on eight targets, a touchdown, multiple penalties. Uh, just did not play well. I thought Chris Harris would take T.Y. Hilton. That didn't happen as much as we thought. And, uh, again, DeMarcus Ware and Vaughn Miller, no pressure, really. Very little. Uh, and that's been a problem in the playoffs for them. And, you know, that's why you see Jack Del Rio gone and major changes in Denver. Yeah, and that's one of the things I was surprised by, uh, and I think everybody was surprised by on Sunday, was that Ware and, and Miller didn't get – anything going until they got a little bit in the second half but by that time it was it was almost too late uh Colts were already up you know 21 uh 20 what was it 21 10 in the third quarter so you know the Colts their weakness on the offensive line is the interior so it wasn't all that surprising that that Denver's pressure did come from the interior uh, but but even you know with the tackles, Anthony Costanzo's had a good year. But Joe Wright's on the right side is a is a guard naturally, and and even with Costanzo, you would think that a guy like Von Miller would uh, be able to, or or uh, actually Demarcus Ware on that side would be able to get a pressure mm-hmm. here or there. But just just not getting anything from those two guys, and it really allowed allowed Luck to be able to step up into the pocket. Uh, the, the tackles did a really good job of, of swinging those edge rushers out to the outside and giving Luck lanes to step up in. And it was a lot like the Cincinnati game where Luck, with time and with pressure, or without pressure, is able to you know, find those guys open down the field. And if if they're not open, he's got time to be patient and, and drop it down. And and even those 
those check down passes. Denver did a really good job of of limiting those. But and even still, that functions as a bit of a, a run game for Indianapolis. You know, you get four or five yards on a checkdown pass, and it doesn't look good statistically. You know, to average four or five yards a catch, which is what I think Dan Heron did. Uh, but it does give you a little bit, a little bit of help for luck. It, it means he doesn't have to force the ball down the field quite as much, and uh, like, like I said, gives you a little bit more balance. So for the Colts, uh, able to get balance, I think really for the for the second week in a row, even if even if you know the run numbers don't look great, uh, and and with that, luck is able to really control the game, uh, manage the game uh, from a from the quarterback position. Uh, and that you saw that in the second half, they're able to go on a, an eight minute drive, uh, both running the ball and with Andrew Luck hitting a few really big passes on third downs to keep the drive going. They only get three points in that drive in the fourth quarter, but it, it turns the game from, you know, from into a two possession game again. And with you know so little time left, there's what, five minutes left after that drive. Uh, you know, Broncos really, it, the game was all but over at that point. Yeah, and I mean, watching that drive, it just re- it just reminded me of the 2005 Steelers Colts playoff game, where you know the Steelers had an eight minute drive in the fourth quarter, and they didn't get any points, but you know it took eight minutes away. They were already up 11, and obviously the Colts used this drive on Sunday to go up 11, and you know it just takes away such a you know huge part of the quarter for Manning to be able to come back, and you just knew when he got back on the field that you know this thing was over before he even uh, started there and just unbelievable eight minute drive. And yeah, I mean, again, the Colts has had an answer for you know, all the big situations in that game. I mean, third and 16, you're not even in field goal range and Kobe Fleener gets open down the field, great pass from luck. And, you know, that led to a touchdown. And, uh, you know, at that point on, you just seen the better team was the Colts. Um, Again, hard to believe. I mean, this the CJ. You look at the CJ Anderson run on fourth and one. Incredible effort. But you know, I, I saw a good shot on a website on uh, play on that play. You know, if Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas didn't give up on blocking, they would have had a touchdown on that run. I mean, there would have been no one there for Anderson. But you know, he just gave up on the play. Just uh, you know, figured he was going to get tackled in the backfield. And yeah, just a really terrible game from Denver. Uh, you know, the Colts. They give up 87 points in the first two playoff games last year, uh, only giving up 23 this year, controlling both games. And granted, both opponents have had some big injuries, but, yeah, they're playing a lot better right now. And you, you just don't know. I mean, I don't, I've seen a lot of comparisons this week to the 2006 defense of the Colts stepping up in the playoffs. Um, yeah, maybe something like that. But, yeah, maybe 2005 Steelers with going on the road and luck and all that. But, I mean, yeah, those teams have done that, and this team can do that, but a whole different test this week, obviously, with New England. Right, and it does remind me of that that 2006, and I'll go ahead and say just because those first two games they played in those playoffs, they weren't playing exactly uh, powerhouse offenses in those either. You're playing uh, Kansas City and then Baltimore, and those were nice wins for Indianapolis and good good performances from the defense. Uh, But then they got New England at home, and the defense didn't show up quite in the same level. Uh, fortunately, the offense did in that game, but that was at home, and this is going to be in Foxborough, and that's gonna, that's a whole different ball game. Uh, Scott, for the Broncos, you look at Demarius Thomas especially, and you've got three dropped passes in this game. A couple of them screen plays that could have gone for a decent amount of yards. The Colts haven't been great at defending screen plays this season. You know, how does this game change if if the Broncos are able to get a few of those quick passes? 
uh, for yards after the catch early in the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really feel that the, the drops were killer. I thought there was one screen that might have been a good first down, maybe get some going before halftime. But uh, I didn't think they were killer plays. But, you know, they just kind of spoke to the overall uh, poor effort from, you know, the Broncos and some of their key players. And um, just too many deep shots in the first half. I don't know why that was the game plan, especially if your quarterback's playing hurt. Um, yeah, it just didn't make any sense to me. And I think yeah, it's a game that speaks very poorly for these coaches. Uh, you know, Jack Del Rio already got hired by Oakland. Uh, good luck lasting two years there. Um, Adam Gase obviously wanting to become a head coach. Uh, this did not look good uh, for their resumes, especially coming off, coming off of a Super Bowl loss, which uh, went, uh, you know, really poorly as well. Right. Uh, the other play that I thought was really big uh, offensively for the Broncos or defensively for the Colts was was obviously the strip fumble by Jonathan Newsom uh, on the Broncos. Uh, what was it? I think third drive, something like that. Third or fourth drive. Yeah. I think it was third drive. Uh, and that changed the game completely, Scott. I mean, at that point, you know, it's the Broncos that were able to move the ball on the first drive and, and get down the field and score a touchdown. Second drive just looked like it might be a, you know, a missed player here year or two and then you come out and you get a huge turnover for Indianapolis you're able to go down and and get that 14-7 lead and then the, it's a completely different game you you know you're not forced to play from behind anymore uh, and now you've got the Broncos in a situation where you know there's still a lot of time left they can still run the ball but they're already behind and once you, you know once you're behind you just get into that mindset uh, that you're playing from behind and you have to force things a little bit more and I think that definitely played into Indianapolis's favor That was really the only pressure. I mean, they really didn't get that much pressure on Manning throughout the night, but it was it was early. And I think, you know, again, when you've got a quad injury like that and and they were able to do it in Indianapolis uh, last season as well, you get a big play like that on Manning and, and maybe just throw him off his game a little bit more. And uh, it's a, I mean, any every little bit helps when you're up against a guy like Manning with his pedigree. So. I, again, getting the pressure on him and getting that the big play like that early, I, I think, was huge. And I don't know if that's something they'll be able to do against Tom Brady uh, and the Patriots. They've they have struggled to get to him in recent matchups, but uh, they're going to have to worry about a few other things first, anyway. All right, um, last thing for this game, Scott. You've got obviously the two big indianapolis quarterbacks from the last 15 years in this matchup and there's there's been a lot of passing the torch comments and whatnot yeah how much significance does this game really play on on both of these two quarterbacks and and their legacies oh i mean i i don't think it, we can't really answer that yet i mean if it ends up being manning's last game uh you know it's a terrible way to go out uh, there's been worse before with Dan Marino, 62 to seven. And then, you know, the ending is rarely glamorous for a quarterback. Um, so I mean, if it's his last game and I guess it's fitting that it came against his old team, but you know, it definitely was one of the worst playoff games of his career. But, uh, you know, obviously, uh, the only time he's really been injured playing during a game. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll have to see on that. And, you know, Andrew Luck, I, I, I don't think it's a game that's going to, you know, be a whole uh, career-defining thing unless they, you know, get to a Super Bowl. Then I could see it being that. But 
and I think it's just a solid win. He played really well. You know, I don't, I don't worry too much about the interceptions. I mean, they were third and long, and, you know, McAfee didn't have his greatest punting day. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I was surprised that he did not play an outstanding game because I thought that's the effort it would take. But, you know, after seeing the way Denver plays, and he, he was able to get it done, you know, with what he did. And, uh, yeah, again, it depends on how the season really ends. And I don't think, you know, it's going to be – the most memorable playoff. Hopefully it's not the most memorable playoff win for Andrew Luck. So. Yeah. Like you said, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a perfect game. I mean, the, I think the week before in Cincinnati, it was about as perfect of a game as, as luck could play. Um, and this game wasn't up to that same level, but I, I mean, he was still fantastic out. You know, he had the, the I think like, obviously the interceptions, he probably had way one or two other throws that you, you want back. But overall, I mean, again, very, very, controlled game from him much like the cincinnati game uh, a few wow throws uh but but picking his spots pretty well he had again he had the two picks and and situationally the picks just didn't didn't mean a whole lot i i, was, I think it was on football outsider scott i think the two picks ended up being for like negative seven dyar or something like that total which obviously is something you can you can live with not not a very significant number in the the grand scheme of things so uh, thought luck again, like you said, it wasn't, it wasn't outstanding. It wasn't perfect. He didn't carry the team. Like we thought he might need to in order to win this game, but just a controlled game. And really with the defense playing as well as it was, that was, that was all they needed offensively. So, all right, perfect. Well, fun game for Colts fans. Anyway, Colts Broncos, 24, 13 Colts move on to the AFC championship. Uh, let's go over to the NFC now to the other game that was a double-digit victory. We'll get these two out of the way early and move on to the closer game. So Seahawks at home against Carolina. Uh, this was was close for the vast majority of the game, Scott. I think closer than, than most of us expected. Uh, Carolina did a pretty good job defensively the first three quarters and, and was actually able to move the ball pretty well. Did a really good job on third down. I think they converted over 50% of their third downs in the, in the game. Uh, but in the fourth quarter, the Seahawks had the big fourth quarter, scored 17 points, uh, end up winning 31-17. Yeah, I mean, pretty close for 49, 50 minutes. And, um, again, Carolina just dropped the ball. I mean, he had a third and 11 or something like that. And Mike Tolbert was open and just dropped the ball. And uh, Russell Wilson made them pay. And, I thought it was one of his best games, um, probably his second best playoff game. I still think Russell Wilson's best playoff game is the only one he lost against Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it was a, it was one of those games you like to see where Marshawn Lynch was not very good. Uh, you know, he had the one big run on the drive where they got the running game going. But, you know, that only ended with a field goal. So, you know, it was a game where Wilson had to uh, do most of the offense. And, and he was outstanding on third downs. Um, you know, he hit the big plays on those. Uh, Jermaine Kirsch stepped up. Uh, I mean, it's ridiculous how many big plays Jermaine Kirsch has in the playoffs the last two years because he's just not a guy that really does much in a regular season. Um, Doug Baldwin caught a big touchdown. As Luke Wilson's had some huge games uh, for the, um, Seattle this year, a tight end. So, I mean, it's an offense where, again, I think they have an advantage of, you know, who do you cover? I mean, who – do you expect Wilson to mostly throw the ball to? And maybe, yeah, Doug Baldwin's an answer, but, you know, it's not a def- an offense that you can, you know, just double-team the guy 
and say, you know, we'll take him out. I mean, any guy on the field is uh, likely to catch the ball in any given play. And, again, I think there are advantages to having that in your offense. And the Patriots, you know, from a decade ago, they had the same thing going on offense where, you know, it was a bunch of guys that weren't, you know, thousand-yard receivers or big-time Pro Bowl players or first-round picks. But, you know, those guys could play. And Seattle has some pretty good playmakers. And, uh, you know, I think Wilson benefits just from being able to, you know, pick his poison. And obviously he throws a great deep ball. And, uh, you know, they were able to make some big plays against the Carolina secondary. That's not very good at all. But, uh, you know, again, we expected better performance from the running game. And surprisingly, Carolina shut that down. So, again, I thought Carolina surprisingly played pretty well, more competitive than I thought. But, yeah, at the same time, uh, you know, some dropped interceptions uh, from the Seattle defense uh, really should have helped, uh, you know, Seahawks get a bigger lead early. Yeah, I thought uh, that Carolina was actually able to run the ball pretty well, and that was a big, big reason why they were able to stay in the game. You know, they didn't – Cam Newton still had to throw the ball 36 times in this game, but – but you you know you look at a running game and you're able to run it 30 times and and you're able to to get 132 yards off that I mean that's that's the kind of game you do need to play in order to keep Seattle's defense you know kind of on their toes and and back on the balls of their feet a little bit you make them make them play both the run and the pass uh, don't get in those situations where you're you're down the whole game and you you have to throw against that that legion of boom. Uh, but it was, I mean, that's why it was close for so long and they were able to stay in the game and they weren't down big early. Uh, Seattle got that early touchdown, but not much else for, for those first three quarters. But again, uh, the championship teams win in the fourth quarter and the championship teams, you know, they win in the opportune moments. And that's what Seattle did on Sunday. So, or Saturday, excuse me. So now you've got uh, Carolina going back to the drawing board in the eight, NFC South. Uh, Seattle moving on to the NFC Championship for the what second year in a row? I guess they they lost to Seattle in two thousand or Atlanta in two thousand twelve. That was a divisional game, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. Uh, but like you said, see, this is this is the thing for me is Russell Wilson played such a good game, and then you look at their stats and you realize he only threw the ball twenty two times. And it's man. If I could score 31 points with my quarterback only throwing the ball 22 times, that would be fantastic. But when you're throwing the ball for 12 over 12 yards of an attempt on 22 times, I, then it then it kind of all makes sense. So okay, you don't have to throw the ball, you know, five, ten, five to ten times in a drive when you're getting the big plays like the the curse touchdown. All right. Uh, anything else from this guy? You know. Moving forward, Seattle obviously will have more difficult opponents both next week and in the Super Bowl if they do move on to the Super Bowl. Carolina was one of the weaker teams in the playoffs this year, but Carolina also, I think, matched up well with Seattle on on both sides of the ball. And that might not be the case with the next two teams or next one team that Seattle does play. So going forward, I mean, do you see – do you did you see this game from Carolina as a case of good matchups? Did you just see it kind of a fluky game, the way it was played? Uh, you know, how do you see Seattle facing these other teams going forward? Yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit of concern for the Seahawks, but again, Carolina has always played uh, Seattle tough the last three 
uh, three seasons. So, I mean, there's that factor. And again, I think yeah, you could look at you could look at this run by Seattle's defense last seven games. Really unbelievable stuff. But I mean, the best quarterback they may have played was uh, you know a hobbled Cam Newton. I mean, you know, they beat up on Ryan Lindley. Um, you know, some of the other lesser quarterbacks. So Mark Sanchez. So I mean, it hasn't been the most challenging uh, schedule. So Again, you look at a Green Bay, and that's a whole different challenge with Aaron Rodgers, healthy or not. And then, obviously, you know, if you're Andrew Luck or Tom Brady in those passing games, uh, you know, different challenges coming ahead for sure. But, you know, I think the Seattle defense, we've seen them enough times over the last three years, you know, really step up against those uh, top quarterbacks, top off passing offenses to the point where I'm not too worried, but. Uh, you know, again, some little concerns over this one. Just Marshawn Lynch, I'm able to get it going. Really, his last two playoff games. I mean, again, the only thing Denver did well in the Super Bowl was shut him down. So, yeah, you like to see him uh, dominate. Uh, I think he'll have a much better chance this week against Green Bay. But, uh, yeah, yeah, you like to see you know a little more consi- a little more uh, consistency with that running game. It's so reliable usually. And um, again, the defense. I mean, they gave up 17 points, but, you know, you could say, you know, they shouldn't have had the three before halftime because we should have caught that interception. We should have blocked that field goal, which was crazy, Cam Chancellor stuff. But, uh, you know, got the pick six, gave up the garbage time. And Calvin Benjamin, he is a garbage time hero. I mean, just unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, was, I, I kept lowering the bar the other night going, you know, Scoring touchdowns in the fourth quarter down by 21 points. He did it five times this year, count the playoffs. And I kept lowering it 20 points, 19 points, and he's still beating everyone. I had to go down to, I think, 11 points, and he's like two ahead of everyone in history. So, I mean, yeah, he pretty meaningless touchdowns by that dude this year. But uh, he's going to be a pretty decent receiver, I think. But, uh, again, you don't worry too much about that last drive. And he got the pick six, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, going to be interesting to see this Green Bay game on Sunday. But, um, again, I don't really worry too much about Seattle just because, you know, they have stepped up and flat out dominated uh, some of these teams at times like Denver, New Orleans, um, Green Bay. Uh, Calvin Benjamin should go back to, to Oakland and join Oakland uh, Carson Palmer. That'd be fun. <laughs> We'd have all kinds of garbage right. time fantasy points. The best. Hey, that, that that Derek Carr got had quite a few of those kind of touchdown yeah, passes. That's what, see, that's what this whoever the new coach in Oakland is should be should be trying to trade for all the garbage time players, and then they can just have all these games where they they turn it into a one score game, uh, you know, with like five seconds left in the game. So that you know, at least it looks better than than what they have been doing so far, right? It can't. It, I mean, it can't really get worse in Oakland. All right, uh, let's move on then to the other NFC game. Actually, let's go about Baltimore, New England first. Baltimore, New England. In New England, Baltimore, we talked about all week. We and, and every other bit of the media, Baltimore was New England's kryptonite. And if anybody had a chance to beat New England in New England, it was Baltimore. And for a long time, it looked like we were going to have those narratives again, those Joe Flacco leading Baltimore back on a run through New England narratives, and we were also going to set up a potential uh, AFC Championship game in Indianapolis. That would have been fun. But in the end, Patriots were able to pull it off. 35-31, 
brilliant game from Tom Brady, really strong game from him as they went away from the run game in the second half. Uh, Brady ends up dropping back and throwing it 50 times. I don't know if that happened all year this year. Uh, and and Baltimore, cho- I mean, they were up, what was it, 28-14 in the third quarter. I was actually out uh, – Having having dinner with with some people and uh, looked up at, and there there's a you know there's a few TVs and looked up as 28-14 and you know inside I'm cheering and outside I'm trying to be a you know adult but then I look up five minutes later and it's already 28-28 again and it was just it was like well all right then New England's gonna win this game I mean when you're up you know you're up two scores in the second half against New England you can't you can't give that up in the span of you know six or seven minutes on the clock. I mean, it, just once that happens, all, you know, New England's got the momentum. And as much as we talk about momentum not really being a thing, um, you know, it does have an effect a, a little bit uh, psychologically on people. And uh, like you said, if you're up, if, if you're up 28-14 in the same half against New England on the road, I mean, you've got to do more than that to hold on to that lead. You there, Scott? Yeah, everything went silent for a second there. But, I mean, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, you know, we, 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 we kind of joke about Flacco and Baltimore. But, I mean, just think of the playoffs, um, you know, what, how much this team could have accomplished more than they even have in the playoffs. You know, they blew a 14-point lead in Pittsburgh in the second half in 2010. And maybe they could have been in that AFC championship that year against Sanchez. Um, then the next year, you know, Lee Evans and Billy Cundiff at the end of that game could have been in that Super Bowl against the Giants. And then this game, I mean, they came out and played very well. Um, you know, very, uh, very surprising how much they moved the ball against that defense that had been playing so well. And, you know, you got Steve Smith beating Darrell Rivas for a touchdown, Justin Forsett rushing it for over 100 yards. And, you know, it just kind of fell apart in the third quarter. And mostly it was on defense. And again, I don't know how many teams in the league, maybe not, no other team, would just flat out abandon the run, you know, like hand it off seven times, and just say, you know, we are going to attack your weakness. And everyone knew the weakness was the secondary. And, you know, they went to the quit. And that's after losing your starting center. And, you know, they went to the, uh, you know, hurry up offense and just kind of picked and thinked and dumped down the field. And, uh, and again, like Brady's average pass in the second half barely went six yards, and they still could not stop them. And, uh, you know, some trickery, uh, big play from Julian Edelman that worked, obviously. But, um, you know, that helped a lot. But, you know, Joe Flacco started making mistakes, which you kind of expect him to do because just because of the style of play where he takes a lot of chances. And, you know, for some reason he still manages to throw a few interceptions. But, you know, those are some really bad ones he made on Sun or Saturday. And, again, the last drive of the game, uh, perfect sh- uh, shot to use up that clock and score in the last minute or last 30 seconds preferably. And he went for the deep ball with over a minute 40 left. And that's just terrible strategy. I mean, you're going to give Brady, even if you make the touchdown, you're going to give Brady 90 seconds to get a field goal with timeouts. I mean, come on. That's just a stupid pass. And uh, as soon as he threw it, I, I even said it to someone on Twitter before that. They were talking say about Flacco throwing the Hail Mary. I was like, yeah, well, this time it won't get, we'll get intercepted like it should. And sure enough, 
uh, you know, he blows the game at the end, and uh, Patriots just sickeningly good at protecting those small leads at home. Uh, Brady has thrown, he's thrown the ball for 50 times two other games this year. The loss against Miami in week one and then uh, went over Dallas uh, in November, but, or excuse me, Detroit in November. But uh, he's only thrown for over, you know, uh, he threw it 50 times against Denver as well, but he only threw it over 40 times, you know, in like one other game. So, I mean, he's just been right in those 30s much all year. And so really, like you said, completely abandoning the run game in this game. And, and that works because, like you said, the secondary was the weakness. The front seven was very stout in Baltimore this year, and they did a good job in this game uh, early on. But, uh, you know, I, I think Julian Edelman, Scott, does he not have the uh, best – Total QBR in playoff history. He does. Good for him. Good for him. College was it? Wasn't he a quarterback in college? Was it Kansas State? Is that where he was? I was thinking yep. Kansas State. Uh, so yeah, the trickery. I, I saw somebody tweet out uh, this week. The fact that the Colts are preparing for trick plays is just in itself uh, a testament to how smart the. Uh, Patriots coaching staff is and it's true it's not something you know I mean the Patriots it's not like trick plays you know are a huge part of their their arsenal there this isn't Chip Kelly and in, in different formations and whatnot all the time but you know you throw enough out there just just a little hint every once in a while is, is just enough to keep people guessing and obviously you had the uh, the four offensive linemen strategy as well pulled out Sunday and they did they did everything they they needed to to win this game and Obviously, just a small win, uh, a small differential at the end at home, but it's a win, and now they move on to play in in the AFC Championship game again. Uh, for the Ravens, Scott, where do they go from here next season? What's what's the biggest area of concern going forward? You do get some help now in the secondary. You get Jimmy Smith back. Uh, you hope that that Elam can continue to develop at safety. Uh, where where do you go if you're the the Ravens in terms of continuing to develop uh, this team? Oh yeah, I mean I could see them drafting a corner in the first round. Just I mean they had to put five of them on injured reserve, but just way too many. And you know Rashawn Melvin is not a guy you want out there in crucial moments. But you know we kind of figured that'd be their undoing. But yeah, I mean again the rest of the defense is pretty solid. They are old up front, but you know there's some. Young guys there like C.J. Mosley and Jernigan. But, um, again, I don't think you worry too much about the defense. And, you know, offensively they were uh, pretty good this year. I mean, Gary Kubiak did the job, and you just wonder if he'll leave or not. He said he's going to stay, so let's see what happens there. And, uh, you know, he maybe develop another receiver. I think the Campanero kid could be a good slot receiver, um, make Flacco a little more efficient. Um Dennis Pitta, I don't, I don't know so many injuries now with the hip. I don't know if he'll ever be the same, but maybe a hole with tight end. But, I mean, again, you're going to compete. You're going to be right up there in the AFC North with, you know, the other teams. So, uh, I think you feel pretty good, but uh, definitely disappointing uh, loss there. And, uh, I mean, the Patriots, again, the, the 4-0 line thing, uh, to me, if you're, if you're running something that's like a trick play, that you would see in the movie Little Giants, you know, I think it's I think it's kind of cheap. Yeah, I, I don't really like that. Oh, uh, look at me! I'm an el- I'm eligible. I'm ineligible. I mean, I had like the Shane Vereen doing that, pulling guys, and I don't know. I mean, I heard Dean Blandino say that they're going to review to make sure you know they're getting the uh, 
announcements to the defense quick enough to adjust, and uh, they're going to look at that in the off season. So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think we're going to see that again. Maybe one drive. I mean, it was only really one drive on Saturday, but I don't think we'll I don't think we'll see that too much. And again, if you're only going to have four linemen there, I'm hoping uh, defense would kind of attack that and uh, try to destroy the quarterback there. But um, again, it definitely caught the Ravens off guard and. John Harbaugh had to take a penalty to even yell about it, which you don't want to see in a playoff game. And uh, but you know, to me, the Edelman play was a bigger, uh, Amendola play was a bigger uh, mistake for the defense than the, that uh, four line thing. Uh, for the Ravens, they've got Torrey Smith coming up as a free agent. Uh, wide receiver might be an area where they want to look to target. Uh, in the draft or free agency or whatever else next year. But, uh, but yeah, like you said, in pretty good shape on both sides of the ball, a lot of things to build off of going forward um, for the Patriots. Now you go into the AFC championship game and really Scott, this might be, you know, panning out to be the, you know, the perfect matchup for the Patriots going into the AFC championship game. You don't have to pay face paint Manning again. You get to face an Indianapolis Colts team that you, you certainly have a psychological advantage over. Uh, and, you know, statistically an advantage in pretty much every category. It's a lot like the, the Broncos Colts matchup where, you know, the, the Patriots pretty much did everything better than the Colts did this season. Um, and, and it's just going to be a question of one of those, any given Sunday kind of things, if the Colts are going to pull off an upset. So Patriots get another favorable matchup at home. And, and that's the, that's the benefit of, of going, uh, of winning in the regular season and getting that, that number one overall seed, getting that home field advantage. They are so difficult to beat in Foxborough. Uh, and obviously now would be the favorites to head to their, what, sixth Super Bowl trip in the last 15 years. So. That's the again. That's the benefit of winning in the regular season. People talk about the playoffs and how it's all that matters, and it is. But the regular season's kind of what sets that up. So, regular season success is important, and the Patriots have been as good as anybody at doing that. All right, final game of the week, Scott. Controversy, more controversy mm-hmm. because of course, because it's Dallas and it's Jerry Jones and it's Des Bryant, and controversy abounds in Green Bay. Dallas comes in and, and and both quarterbacks ended up being hobbled. Uh, really interesting game to watch. Aaron Rodgers put up a, a fantastic performance despite his injury. Uh, Tony Romo uh, played pretty well uh, with a, a lot of help from DeMarco Murray until DeMarco Murray's fumble. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but let's go ahead and get it out of the way, Scott. Obviously, the end of the game. Uh, I think we have some differing viewpoints on this, so this could be a fun discussion. But uh, Des Bryant. <laughs> Comes up with the catch, a fantastic play over Sam Shields, uh, dives and rolls into the end zone, and Mike McCarthy ends up challenging the play. Everybody's going wild. Mike McCarthy challenges the play. Then the reviews come up, and we realize, I don't think anybody even realized at first that the ball had moved at all, but the replays comes up. The ball ends up moving a little bit. It it comes out of his hands for a few seconds, uh, and few minutes later we come out with an overturned ruling and the Cowboys are all but finished yeah I mean I think that's a play that you want it to be rolled a catch I think I mean you want efforts like that to be rewarded as a catch I mean I don't know I've never been a fan of the Calvin Johnson rule um again I think the birdie manual when you look at that play yeah I mean he had the 
he let the ground help him make that catch. You, you know, if people that don't know, that's a 1999 NFC Championship, Tampa Bay against St. Louis. Yeah, he he let the ground help him make the catch. I mean, this play, the guy does. Bryant catches it in the air. Uh, you know, he gets a couple feet down, and he goes towards the end zone, and you know, puts that left arm forward. And yeah, I mean, I think you see uh, the arm, the forearm get down first. You see the ball on it. Uh, you see the ball move. You see him roll over to his back. The ball pops up in the air. Uh, he still comes down with it before it hits the ground. Uh, again, I think you know that's a play that you want to be having rule to catch. And I knew when I seen that ball come out and move, I had a good feeling that they were going to overturn it. Um, again, I think they've been praising the review system this season for you know having conclusive evidence and you know not overturning calls unless you have that conclusive evidence. And I'm still to this to this hour, I'm still not cl- you know convinced that I see. Uh, you know, shot of the ball on the ground with him losing it. So I, I still am surprised that they overturned it. But um, again, to me, you know, he did enough to make the catch. The football move thing. I mean, again, I mean, the guy changed the ball hand, tried to score. Uh, I don't know, you know, what more do you need to do? I mean, he, he had three feet tapped down in bounds. I mean, he, uh, I, again, I just don't know what they want. And one of the hypotheticals I've always said was. You know, if a guy catches a ball, goes to the ground, and, you know, if he just starts rolling around like he's on fire, you know, stop, drop, and roll, then all of a sudden he decides to roll and bangs into the uh, pylon or the, you know, the goal post on the field goal thing. If he bangs into that and the ball squirts out at the end, you know, is that a, a drop or incomplete pass? I mean, the whole process. And that's why I brought that Dante Moncrief touchdown against the Bengals in the wild card game. Yeah, you know, if you look at the process, he goes to the ground, and it doesn't matter if you're contacted or not, he was contacted. He goes to the ground, rolls over, hits the pylon, and you know, the ball, he doesn't even really drop it. It just kind of slips off his hand if you look at it in slow motion. And I was surprised they didn't look at that because you could almost argue that he didn't complete the process. And obviously I'm glad they upheld it and didn't say anything, but Again, you get worried anymore when you see a ball move. And um, to me, you know, they needed they need to do something better to make these plays catches. Just you know, two feet in possession, make it simple. And you know, to me, Des Bryant did enough on that play to earn a catch. See, there's I think there's two different discussions, and one is obviously the call and the reversal, and the other one is the rule. And I think there's and now I and I I. Definitely agree with the call. I think the rule itself, it's just a difficult situation you're putting the NFL in to define a catch. Uh, but we'll start with the the call. I don't think I don't think there's guy. I don't, I don't think there's any way where you, that you can say that that ball didn't touch the ground. Um, I mean, I, I've seen it from from you can see it from both sides. The ball, you know, the the end of the ball pops up. He's got a hand, the his fingers on the one end. The other end pops up after it hits the ground, and I don't know. I mean, I just I just think the, it's pretty conclusive that the ball hits the ground. The question is whether or not he loses control after it hits the ground. And, and again, when the ball is is moving in your grasp after it hits the ground, that's generally what what referees will use to determine whether or not you have control or not is, is the movement. And the ball clearly moves. 
it moves, it pops, the one end pops up in his hand and then it, it pops completely out of his hand as he rolls over. And I think that's the difference. And I don't know, obviously I haven't talked to the referees, but I think that's the difference when you look at like the Moncrief play or you look at the Calvin Johnson play in this play is the ball touches the ground and then moves. And then Calvin Johnson's hand just completely comes out of his hand. In this case, uh, moves a bit and then eventually comes out of his hand. And in the Moncrief play, there wasn't any any point where the ball hit the ground and forced it to move. He just dropped it after he slid out of the end zone. Um, so, I mean, and when you're talking about football moves, see, this is what I, when I see this play, obviously you could say he got three feet down and then he dies towards the end zone, but this isn't a case where he catches the ball and then makes a, you know, he turns and makes an effort to, to leap towards the end zone. This was, he's up in the air, he catches the ball, he catches the ball, and then he falls down. I mean, this is just him falling forward as he catches the ball. It's all one one motion to me when you're watching it. Uh, and he's trying to keep his balance and get to the end zone, but he's falling down from the initial leap. Uh, and he reaches the ball to the end zone and his control. So for me, the ground causes him to lose control. And and by the letter of the law, you, I mean, that's it's, I, I mean, it's pretty, pretty clear. Um, now, when you're looking at the rule, this is the hard part for me is that you you want we want it to be so simple for the referees to say that's a catch or not a catch. And that's every time there's a, a you know a play in question, there's about eighteen thousand Twitter uh, comments about, oh, I don't know what the catch what a catch is anymore. So well, we do. It's just there's always gonna be cases where there's a question. I mean, that's just, it's the nature of the game. So the, the thing about, well, if he catches the ball and he has two feet down, then it's a catch. The thing about that is then you call into situations where you catch the ball, you get two feet down and you get blasted and the ball comes out. And then we're, we're having the discussion about whether it's a fumble or an incompletion. And I think the NFL has really tried in recent years to keep that from being a fumble uh, by giving the receiver a chance to, you know, collect collect the ball, collect his feet and make a football move before he gets rocked. And for that to be a fumble, uh, the Josh Cribs catch, I'm not sure how fumble, how, how catches and punt recoveries, how they're ruled. I thought that should have been a fumble though, based on everything we've seen this year. It wasn't they calling him, him down, but, uh, but in terms of just in terms of catches and catch rules, there's just always going to be, that question there's always going to be a gray area and unfortunately if you make a rule to counteract one gray area you're creating another gray area uh, on a different kind of play so i don't know i just don't know what the perfect rule is to you know know what's a catch and what's not a catch uh and we can say well if you just use common sense but there's always going to be great plays and i also hate the i just really don't like the well the nfl is ruining its product by not allowing these great catches well no i mean if if a guy makes a great catch but his feet lands out of bounds we're not going to move the out of bounds you know make it wider just because we wanted this great play to occur uh there there's always going to be plays that that don't count because of you know because something didn't go right and that's just and that's the nature of the game there's a holding penalty on a great run that doesn't really affect the run all that much we're not going to bring it back just because we want to see a great play it's just that's it's the nature of the game so des bryant wants to have that catch you know hold on to the ball and that's the same thing with with anything again i just think you're creating so many gray areas anytime you try and define something and unfortunately we
we, we have to define it now because we have all this technology can, that can watch every millisecond. Uh, and so we're forced to go from, you know, just the eye test, did he make the catch? We're forced to go to, well, every every millisecond of it, and that's on every single play. There's so much money involved in these, and there's so much pressure on uh, the NFL to get it right uh, that we're looking at it so much closely than, than we had in the past, so much closer than we had in the past. And and unfortunately, that just creates a lot of gray areas, and I just don't know I don't know what what rule you can create to to eliminate gray areas. I don't I don't know. Well, I mean, the, the problem is when you have such inconsistency, even in the same game, I mean, the same kind of rules. I, I still don't get how did Randall Cobb get that catch before halftime. I mean, to me, there was clear evidence on that one that the ball moved on the ground, hit the ground. And they still, you know, they uh, let the call stand. And, you know, we've seen Danny Amendola get a catch overturned on third down. That was closer, I thought, than the Cobb play. Uh, again, the Josh Cribbs play was overturned. I'm still not sure if that was even right or not um, on the punt against Denver. So, I mean, again, you had all these plays. And, um, and I guess the Carolina one, that one was okay with, their, I think, what, Earl Thomas interception. They got that one right. But, again, you had multiple plays this weekend where I'm not really sure they got them all right or if they got maybe one out of three. So yeah. you look at you look at the Randall Cobb play, I mean, why is that a catch? And you hear announcers, again, sometimes the announcers maybe are wrong. I mean, I could think of Phil Sims talking about face guarding in the AFC Championship a few years back when that's not a rule in the NFL. That's a college rule. So sometimes the announcers get it wrong. But one thing we've caught, especially if it's Mike Terry on there, but uh, <laughs> the, imperfect, the imperfect season continues. But, um, yeah, they, they get things wrong. But one thing you hear so often is the ball can move if it – I mean, or the ball can touch the ground. You just have to have control under it. And, again, why is that a good rule? And why can't you say that Des Bryant did the same thing with the ball touched the ground? His forearm was on it. He had, like, a vice – grip with it inside his arm or not his armpit but his uh you know um, you know his arm so i mean again i just don't get why sometimes it's a it's just like the tuck rule it's okay to fumble you just have to do it a certain way and again they have the same crap about the ball moving on the ground but that's okay if you have control under your hands under it or i it just doesn't make any sense and to me if you're going to take the des Bryant catch away you have to take that Randall Cobb catch away before halftime. And, you know, that was one of the drives that let the three points too. And, uh, you know, if the Cowboys were down by uh, two points instead of five, they could have been kicking a field goal on fourth down and not throwing the Des Bryant bomb in the first place. So uh, very disappointing. And, again, what the hell was with the spots in this game? There were three spots that were so generous to the offense every time. Two of them were on back-to-back plays. With Jason Witten. So, I mean, again, the whole product on Sunday with the officiating, it was very, very poor in this game. Uh, outside of the officiating, Scott, the I think the biggest play, and I don't think, I, I mean, I don't even know if this is arguable, but uh, biggest play for me was the DeMarco Murray fumble. Uh, just completely changed the tone of the game. Dallas is, is driving me down uh, and was looking, I mean, looking like they were going for touchdown. Just Green Bay was just having such a hard time stopping them on that drive. Murray running the ball well, uh, and then he fumbles, and it's a completely new ball game. And this is an, an issue that Murray's had uh, throughout the season. Uh, hasn't always killed him, but in this game, uh, that was just a, a huge play for Green Bay to be able to flip the script. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that was a big one. Definitely something he had trouble with early in the season. But, I don't know, I kind of look at the, the Devontae Adams. They had such a hard time tackling him on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I thought that third and 15 play, I mean, where, where Rodgers threw it, and it was such a good throw, it was going to be a first down anyway. But, man, tackle the guy. I mean, they gave him 30 yards after the catch for a touchdown on that one. And, you know, if you, if you tackle him where he catches it, I mean, yeah, Green Bay has a first down, but – Still, maybe you hold him to a field goal, or maybe you sack Rodgers, maybe you force a punt, maybe he misses the field goal. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of things that could have happened uh, down by eight points um, at that at that point in the game. So, uh, yeah, that was a huge blow to the defense that play. And um, again, Tony Romo, I thought he played a pretty great game. Surprised he only threw it 19 times. Maybe they should have thrown it a little bit more. Um, you know, his number, of course, he has the highest passer rating in a playoff loss in NFL history. Go, go figure. Um, could have been, could have <laughs> been even higher. Uh, could have been even higher. Could have been over 150 with that Des play. Um, so, I mean, go, go figure that happened. And again, to me, the worst thing he did in this game was take sacks. And, you yes. know, we're talking about a very small sample size, but, you know, taking sacks has been really a killer for Romo in the playoffs in his whole career. You go back and watch that Giants game in 07, man, he had no clue when to throw the ball away or when to take a sack. I mean, it was just ridiculous in the fourth quarter. And I thought he did the same thing on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're just trying to do too much and took some really bad sacks. And, you know, again, you're talking about a team that's built on the running game this year. You have a third and one before halftime. They try to throw a bomb. Maybe he did it out of panic because he fumbled the snap. But, again, you like to see a run there. Fourth and two. I mean, I don't know why every NFL team treats third and two, fourth and two as a passing down. It could still be a good running down chance there. You know, your O-line's been pretty good today. Your running game's been pretty good. Uh, you know, the Des Bryant play was very risky. But, you know, Des has made that play, so I can't argue too much with that one. I mean, if he threw that play to Colt Beasley, then we'd be uh, really testing uh, <laughs> him, him out right now. But, uh Again, some short yardage and mishaps there for Dallas. They only had eight tries in this game. So, I mean, you know, you miss a field goal, Dan Bailey, kind of quickly earn a reputation if he misses some more playoff field goals. Um, this seems like the Vander Jackson, Nate Cadings, those kind of guys always seem to screw up in the playoffs uh, in such a small sample size, but uh, it is what it is. So, again, Dallas definitely did some things good in this game. Uh, like this team really could have went to distance this year, so – I mean, it's such a heartbreaking uh, way to lose, but um, I don't know. I mean, we talked about their defense, not being able to get pressure consistently. Um, Again, that killed them. Aaron Rodgers, they should have probably blitzed him a bit more in the first half. He just did not look good. You could tell he was afraid to leave the pocket, and that led to some really bad sacks and fumble even on the one drive. So, I don't know what he did in halftime, but he warmed up and looked great in the second half, and uh, you know, the Cowboys were uh, toast. Uh, yeah, the one thing, I mean, I, you know, Scott, we've talked a lot about Tony Romo and he's, I think he's, he's underrated by a lot of people and does so many good things, but those sacks, some of the sacks he's taken this year have just been so frustrating to me that he, you know, he can, he can be calm in the pocket and throw fantastic, you know, make a fantastic play one, one play. And then the next play, I mean, he just looks like he's a chicken with his head cut off in the pocket. Sometimes he just he lowers his eyes and starts 
just moving awkwardly and then he ends up running right into a sack and it, it's just uh it's he had a cup on sunday and it just uh made me made me a uh, face palm on the couch uh both the running games in this game were very good i wasn't i mean not super surprised that they didn't lean on them more because the nfl is such a, a passing league but uh, Green Bay, I thought, with with Rodgers' injury, would lean on Lacey a little more. He ended up averaging over five yards a carry. Um, but, uh, you know, 19 carries, that's that's a pretty good threshold for where you want to be. So couldn't complain about that too much. Uh, that will definitely be something to watch when they go into Seattle next week is that run game. And they, they beat up Eddie Lacey pretty good in week one. Uh, so it's going to be much different game this time around, hopefully, for Green Bay. Uh, all right. Uh, well, let's go ahead and move on then from the divisional round and and preview the AFC and NFC championship games next week. We'll go ahead and start with that Seattle and Green Bay game. Uh, Scott, why is this game going to be different from the week one uh, massacre? Uh, I'm not sure if it will be. I mean, <laughs> um, well, I mean, I just think, okay, the per- Percy Harvin was like a new toy they had that night. And they definitely did a lot. You know, the, the jet sweep was like the most trendy word that night. And, um, God, that game feels so long ago, though. I mean, I remember I was up for, like, 30 30 hours straight that day. I went to bed that night and almost gagged and choked to death on my mucus. It was a horrible night now that I think about it. But, um, (laughs) God, that just seems so long ago. Um, But, I mean, Marshawn Lynch, I remember just trying to recall some things from that game. Marshawn Lynch looked fantastic. Um, Eddie Lacy had a really slow start to the year. Remember Aaron Rodgers, it looked like one of the worst games of his career, just some really bad decisions, forcing the ball, couldn't get anything going. You know, uh, what's his name? Belaka got hurt. That was a big blow in the game. They gave up some pressures on that side, some sacks, fumble for a safety. Um, you know, the Seattle, they tackled so well. They're so fast on defense. Hardly any yak given up, which, you know, Green Bay's one of the best teams that, coming up with that with Jordy Nelson. And, again, you, you, you cannot fear the cornerback, Richard Sherman. I mean, if the guy's open, you got to throw it there. So you can't just go away the whole game from throwing there. And I think they'll do that. And, to me, it's all about Aaron Rodgers' health. I mean, he's been sacked 11 times in two games in that building. And, you know, he's only put up 28 points total. Um, so, I mean, this, even when he's healthy, he struggled in that building against that defense. And he struggled on the road this year against Detroit as well and um, Buffalo. And even Minnesota held them to 24 points. So, I mean, again, this is an offense that's had some road struggles. And, you know, if they're going to get pressure on him, which I think they'll do better than Dallas, it's going to be really tough if he doesn't leave the pocket and, you know, make some crazy throws and uh, help himself uh, get away from the pressure. But to me, you know, their advantage in this game, you have to rely on Eddie Lacy. I think that's the whole key to beating Seattle. You have to rely on the running game. Even if it's 30 carries for 70 yards, you have to, uh, you know, give your quarterback some breaks. You cannot throw 40, 50 times and expect to beat that defense, especially on the road. So I think Eddie Lacy's going to be big. You know, he's going to have to break tackles, make some big plays. Um, Got to rely on him. And to me, if there's any advantage in the passing game, yeah, to me, it seems like they're a cornerback short on Seattle this year. You know, you get Richard Sherman, you have Brian Maxwell supposed to play, but this Farrell Simon, their third corner, you know, if Devontae Adams can play like he did, and God, the guy, he had a great game against New England, then he completely went to a milk carton, completely disappeared. Then he stepped up on Sunday and had a huge game. 
So if you could get him playing at a high level, then Green Bay's got the three receivers of Cobb and Nelson and Adams. But, again, I don't know if you could trust the rookie to step up. But, again, they, uh, they're going to move the receivers around. Nelson got 14 targets week one. So they're going to give him away from Sherman, and they're going to have opportunities. But, uh, you know, Seattle gets a good pass rush in this game. Uh, it's gonna, not going to be too pretty for Green Bay. Uh, Devontae Adams, you know, first game in week one, the Packers were relying on on Boykin for that third yeah. receiver spot. So so having Adams in there now, and if he continues to play well, that, that could be a huge difference. Uh, Jordy Nelson only had two catches for 22 yards against uh, the Cowboys on Sunday. It was the second time all season that he had under 50 yards in, in a game. Uh, it was his lowest yardage total for a game this season. Uh, he's he had what eight and eight nine catches in that first game for like 80 yards. So he had, you know, he had a quite a caught excuse me caught quite a few balls. Uh, but just like you said, wasn't doing a whole lot with them. There wasn't that that yards after the catch. Uh, and they they moved Nelson around in that game and kept him away from from Sherman's side. But that allowed the Seahawks to bring you know bring those safeties over to that other side more uh you know split the field in half a little bit and and really limit that yards out of the catch so I think Nelson needs to bounce back and have uh be a bigger part of the offense in this game he doesn't necessarily need to be you know he doesn't necessarily need to get the 14 targets that he got in that first game but just be a little bit more efficient with those targets and, and hopefully get a few more intermediate and, and bigger plays which obviously is is difficult to do against the Seattle secondary but necessary uh, especially if you can set up the run and then maybe run a little bit of play action off of that so a uh, big game in seattle offensively scott for seattle uh, the green bay defense has definitely shown signs of weakness and they did on sunday again before that demarco murray fumble it looked like dallas was about to get another touchdown out of it uh in week one i remember hearing after the game uh quotes from the seattle players was that it didn't. It, it looked like the Green Bay defenders didn't want to tackle Marshawn Lynch, and I, like you said, he looked great. He was. I mean, he was bowling over people. The Green Bay defense was just having such a hard time tackling him and bringing him down. Uh, he is obviously a huge key for Seattle in every game, um, but is that even more so against Green Bay as their run defense? And even in, down the stretch in the end of the season, the run defense was was better, but wasn't really tested all that much. Yeah, I, I think if you look at all the defensive matchups this weekend, you know, between the two games, you know, Green Bay's run defense is like the weakest unit in either game for either team. Um, you know, like the Colts, you know, the Colts and Patriots both have a lot of struggles with tight ends, but you know, if you're talking to specific run or pass defense, uh, you know, Green Bay's run defense is just not good, and that's why I thought Demarco Murray and Eddie Lacy, I thought they would both play very well on Sunday, and they both did. So, you know, yay to, yay, yay to teams actually living up to expectations for a change in this game. So, um, again, I think, yeah, like I said, I think, you know, what comes up was must go down in this game. So, yeah, I think Nelson will play better for Green Bay this week. But I think, you know, Marshawn Lynch is going to have a much better game for Seattle, and they need it. I mean, uh, you know, that's just what they do. And that's one of the best rushing offenses that we've ever tracked. And a lot of that has to do with Russell Wilson's rushing, obviously. And, again, I think week one, there was just a lot of misdirection. I mean, you look at the touchdown passes Wilson threw in that game, uh, wide open receivers, just completely fooled Green Bay. And, again, we've seen Dom Capers struggle 
to game plan against these kind of quarterbacks and these NFC West teams. I mean, they're what they went zero and three or zero and four against Forty Niners. Uh, Colin Kaepernick uh, haven't beat haven't beat this particular Seattle team yet. Um, again, it's just been the bad matchup for Green Bay, and it's on the road. Uh, you know, it's going to be loud. And uh, again, Russell Wilson, I think he's twenty five and two at home. Um, you know, they lead in every single game he plays. Uh, they're right there in the fourth quarter in every single game. Um, again, this team is just so hard to beat. And uh, Green Bay, I mean, again, they really got their work cut out for them. Yeah, going from a gimpy Tony Romo to Russell Wilson uh, in Seattle uh, is quite the, the difference for Capers and, and that defense. So it's going to be a big matchup. And obviously they had such a hard time in week one containing containing Seattle and, and offensively sustaining drives. They were able to get a few, you know, they were able to get plays here and there for Green Bay, but they just couldn't, they couldn't sustain those drives consistently. And that was, that was the key. And I think, again, like you said, going back to that point, uh, Eddie Lacy is going to be such a big part of them offensively if they, if they were to have any sustained success throughout that game. All right. Over to the, uh, excuse me, AFC now in New England, another AFC championship game. Uh, this is the Colts and Patriots, uh, what is it, fifth, sixth time meeting, fifth or sixth since early 2000s. Um, but it's only the third, I think it's the third AFC championship. Yeah, third AFC championship that they've met in. Uh, last year, the Colts went into New England in that divisional round playoff game, got smoked by 20 points, uh, got run over by Lee Garrett Blunt and the running game over 200 yards, six rushing touchdowns in that game. Then in New England came to Indianapolis uh, in the regular season this year, week 11, and thought the Colts would put up a little bit more of a fight. But uh, again, the Patriots rushed for over 200 yards, four rushing touchdowns this time, uh, and the Colts just had no chance. I mean, there's so much talk, Scott, and we've talked about this before, but there's so much talk about the Andrew Luck, and he threw his, you know, he threw four interceptions in that game in New England in the playoffs last year. He threw, I think, two against New England this year in the regular season. But but I don't people you've got to understand, New England has in the last three matchups since since Luck came to Indianapolis, the three matchups with New England, New England has averaged 200 yards rushing and and four rushing touchdowns. I mean, they've, they've, that's what they've averaged in three games. And at the same time, then you've got Tom Brady, who's throwing for over for like eight and a half net yards per attempt, which is a phenomenal number. I mean, so you've got you've got this setting up with, you know, just cramming it down the Colts' throats. And then you've got being able to throw it effectively on play action built off that run game. And no, there's there's no way you can win a game when you're giving up 200 yards and four touchdowns on the ground alone. So uh, Luck obviously has thrown a few interceptions, and, and he ha- they, those aren't his best games at all. But when you're, you're putting your quarterback in those kinds of situations, uh, it, it makes a little bit more sense. So for the Colts, they've got to do something different defensively. And, and that's the big question, Scott. Can they do that better this time around? Can they play the run better uh, while still not opening themselves up for too much uh, death by Gronkowski. Right. I mean, yeah. So I'm writing the game preview for this game at Football Outsiders. It should be up tomorrow morning. Uh, it's going to be at least 4,000 words for sure. So I got about 12 hours to finish it. But, uh, 
<laughs> so I have a lot I could I have a lot I could say about this one, but hopefully you could just read it tomorrow. But what I don't say um, to me, the Colts defense is the key to this game. I mean, I'm looking at games in New England when the Patriots lose, and it's usually because someone holds them under 21 points. Uh, you know, you have to control the game defensively, and you know, I think like you said, I mean, it's been all kind of running all over the Colts. Uh, you know, I. Again, if Brandon Bolden rushes for 200 yards and four touchdowns, maybe Chuck Pagano does not deserve to come back to Indianapolis on Sunday night. I mean, you just cannot let that happen again. Um, And, you know, the Patriots' running game this year has not been that good. I mean, that was a big outlier in their season, that game in Week 11. The Indies' run defense has not been that bad. I mean, that was a big outlier in their season. I mean, you've just seen them – really do a good job against C.J. Anderson, who was like the leading rusher the last six weeks of the season. And they did a pretty good job in that game. And um, it and just can't, I, you know, yeah. But, you know, the, the Patriots had a bye week to prepare, you know, that 6-0 line set as they used in week 11. They had a bye week last year in the playoffs, and LeGarrette Blunt had a huge game in week 17. So they were just kind of in a rushing groove. Again, this week, you know, it's – they're coming off a game where they rush for 14 yards, and yet you get the feeling that they could probably run for 150 at least this week if they try. Uh, they just have that adaptability week to week to do whatever is necessary to beat that particular opponent. And you know the Colts have weaknesses. You know they've given up a 500-yard passer, they've given up a 200-yard rusher. So either way they do it, Rob Gronkowski. And again, I can't even. Uh, I don't even want to see LeRon Landry trying to cover him. It'd be a nightmare. Um, again, I don't know what you do with that guy. I don't know if Vontae Davis is up for that kind of challenge. And that's what kind of makes the uh, Colts, you know, makes New England so hard to defend is that the Colts' strength are those cornerbacks. It's, you know, Vontae Davis and Greg Toller on the outside, and yet New England's a team that will run its offense more on the inside and the slot receivers and throw the short passes and not the deep ones. So it's really a bad matchup. And, to me, I just think the Colts are going to load up to stop the run, and I think you know it's a game for Tom Brady to step up. And again, he hasn't his worst playoff games are usually AFC Championship games, and he hasn't had back-to-back good playoff games in ten years. So you know, he just had a really good game last week. So you know, to see if he could break that little stretch he's been on. Um, again, they I don't know how they're going to get pressure. They're going to have to blitz. I think I read that the Colts blitz Brady more than any team this year. And, you know, he really wasn't that good in the uh, game in Week 11 yet. And even last year he threw for, I think, 13 completions for under 200 yards. But, again, you can't stop the run, so they're still scoring 40. And, obviously, on the other side, luck, you cannot force those interceptions. I mean, third play of the game last year, bad pick, gets returned to the two-yard line. You know, a minute 19 into the game, they're down, and they trailed for the rest of that entire game. And... You know, every game against New England, he's thrown for 300 yards, two touchdowns, but they've Colts have only scored 20 to 24 points. And, you know, one of the things I'm trying to look at in my preview is, you know, what kind of performance does it take to beat the Patriots? And to me, it's not a game where you're going to go up there and throw for 350 yards and four touchdowns and, you know, go toe-to-toe with Tom Brady uh, like Joe Flacco just tried to do. You know, it's not a game that's going to be successful. You have to uh, show up on defense. You have to control the game. You can't get behind. I mean, just the most disgusting stat I may have ever came up with. You know, you go back to 2001, the whole Tom Brady era, the Patriots at home, you try to make a fourth-quarter comeback against them, the record is 1-46 in 
I mean, one out of 47 tries, and that was Eli Manning, of course, and they pulled it off. So you just cannot come back in that building. I mean, I think, this, I think they're 87-0 and 0 when they're up by eight points or more, any point in the game, any point in the game. So you cannot get behind. And the Colts, you know, they think they rank 30th in the first quarter, DVLA offensively, a lot of bad starts. You just cannot get behind. And, you know, I think you're going to have to run the ball. You can't let the, you know, I thought last week the one-man show idea was the right thing to do. Uh, they came out with 11 straight luck plays, but, you know, Denver's defense showed to not be that great against the run. But, um, you know, to me, I think you got to, you know, spread them out. I think Moncrief and Nix, they keep Nix been playing a lot better. You know, actually looks mm-hmm. like someone that's put in work with luck, unlike early in the season where every time they threw at each other, he looked like they never played together. So, I mean, he's been a good He's been a good player lately, but he's only playing like 22 snaps a game in the playoffs. And he's still got Reggie Wayne out there. And, you know, I love Reggie Wayne, what he's done in his career, but he's not this season. just not productive anymore. He's, you know, on his last leg, literally. So I think you like to see, you like to see Moncrief down the field. You know, look at those plays luck through to Brazil last year for touchdowns. Unbelievable throws. So, I mean, Moncrief is that guy for those plays. Mm-hmm. You know, T.Y. Hilton, he has to, they're going to double team him. I mean, he has to get open. He got open against Denver's corners. Um, yeah, probably not a big game. And Kobe Fleener, huge game. Mostly playing, most of his big catches, he lined up at wide out or slot. And, you know, he beat Brandon Brown there. So, I mean, it's a matchup you got to take advantage of. And, you know, to me, it's the week, this is the week to, you know, use a lot of four receiver sets, maybe Kobe Fleener as a wide receiver again. And, you know, that's the way they're going to attack them. Stay away from Dur- – I don't want to say stay away from Darrell Rebus the whole game. I mean, I've seen Rebus get beat uh, repeatedly this year. Just, you know, not you're not going to get a whole game going at him. But I've seen drives where he's given up two or three catches. So you can't fear him. I mean, you have to still throw uh, to your receivers. But, again, I think, you know, the whole thing about uh, this game is it's going to have to come with a defensive blueprint to, you know, stop that running game. And, uh, you know, see if the Patriots try to be balanced and maybe, you know, the attempt at being balanced makes them, you know, not great at either the run or the pass and you might maybe get a mediocre day. But, again, you know, you, I mean, you have to come out and play well in the beginning of the game so you don't get behind and don't let them start running that ball. And, uh, again, maybe Tom Brady somehow get a pass rush on him and dare him to throw deep. And, you know, that's the weakness in their passing game. And, uh, obviously, we've seen it show up with Denver last week, unable to hit those plays. And, yeah, that's those are plays where the Colts should be able to be okay on the outside, but you know it's just not the kind of offense New England runs. So you know, New England, it's you know they can do pretty much anything they want, but uh, you know Colts have to find a way to stop at least one of those things really well. And you know, in some ways, you like to stop Brady more than the run, but <laughs> hasn't happened in the last two meetings. Uh, you mentioned. Dante Moncrief and Hakeem Nix. Uh, Moncrief was not a, a big part of that game in, in their first matchup this year. Uh, he could be a different element that forces you know forces the Patriots to uh, vary their safety location a little more. They they pretty much just ran a safety over T.Y. Hilton the entire game in, in that first matchup. Limited him to, I think, his worst game of the season. It was like two catches for – or three catches for 22 yards or something like that. Um, so that was, I mean, a big part for them. That's one of the things New England does so well is taking away your strength. And T.Y. Hilton is, I mean, in my in my view, T.Y. Hilton's the second most important player on the Colts. I, I mean, without him, they, their offense looks so different. He does so many things both with the ball and without the ball, just opening things up for other people. Uh, him and Vontae Davis probably 
tied for the second most important person uh, on that team behind Luck. Uh, the last two weeks, uh, well, not the last two weeks, but the last few weeks, uh, all season, Reggie Wayne has been locked up by these number one corners. You know, we saw the Patriots put Darrell Rivas on, on Reggie Wayne, uh, just completely take him out of the game in, in that matchup. Last week against Denver, the Denver put Chris Harris on, on Reggie Wayne and just completely locked him up. And I wonder what the Patriots are going to do with Reggie Wayne this time around. Are you, I, I don't think, you know, looking at the last few games of tape, you really don't need to put your number one corner on Reggie Wayne uh, to lock him out for the entire game. But if you don't and he comes up with some really big third down catches, you know, that could come back to bite you as well. So Reggie Wayne, uh, not the Colts' number one receiver anymore. Do you? really need to put your number one corner on him. Well, it worked for the, for the Patriots in week one or week 11, uh, but it might be a little bit different game this time around with a guy like Moncrief who can stretch the field instead of instead of Knicks out there on quite as many snaps, although Knicks still has been playing about a you know quarter of the snaps offensively. So I think for the Colts, like you said, Scott, uh, offensively, the big thing is they they have to overwhelm New England with the wealth of targets. Uh, they're not going to run over New England, uh, although they might be able to be more balanced this time around than they were last time running for, I think, four yards from their running backs last time. Uh, but they've got so many targets. Uh, New England has a talented secondary, but it doesn't have it's quite the same amount of bodies. If, like you said, if you run spread offenses, if you're running those tight ends out there, you know, the, the Colts should have you know four or five guys at any given on any given play that can make a big play in the offensively in the passing game. So uh, Colts, just if you can overwhelm them and, and force, you know, force Devin McCourty to, to pick, you know, pick his poison. And that should open up, you know, guys down the field on the other side of Hilton. Or, you know, if you've got Kobe Fleener up the middle, if if they're really going to play right over top of Hilton all the time. Uh, so that, that could be something for Indianapolis. Uh, defensively, like you said, you've got to come out and start strong, play well, early the Colts have done a good job of that in the last two playoff games and and like I said earlier Andrew Luck hasn't hasn't just been dominating with 400 yard games in the playoffs but he's done a really good job of of controlling the game offensively and and sustaining drives down the field they'll need to do a better job of finishing drives in the red zone and scoring touchdowns but if they can maintain those drives uh, avoid the back-breaking turnovers and just continue to to put up points uh, they'll be in a much better position uh, defensively, you, I think you've got to stop the run first, like you said, and uh, I think you you need to try and force Brady to make those long outside throws down the sideline, uh, like they did with Manning, because like you said, the, the Patriots run so much of their offense down the middle, whether it's running the ball uh, or Gronkowski, Edelman, Amendola over the middle, either up the seam or on crossing routes. So I think you've got to give a lot of uh, put a lot of traffic in the middle of the field. Make it difficult for those New England receivers and tight ends to, to get space in the middle of the field uh, and instead make Brady throw it to the sidelines. Uh, Brady still can make those throws, but it's a it's a lot smaller uh, percentage of success than these, you know, letting him dink and dunk up the field all the way like he did against against Baltimore. I mean, Brady's made a career of being very accurate in, in those short throws and, and having a quick trigger, being able to get it out of the pocket quickly. So. Again, I think you make him, you try and tempt him with some of those longer throws and, and make him throw outside into the sideline. Uh, and you might, you know, you might get a bad play here or there, steal a couple drives and give your offense a chance. So uh, it should be a good matchup. I think in both of these games, Scott, we've either got 
a blowout from the home team or or a close game. And I, and I don't really know if there's any other, you know, I don't think a, a big win by either of the road teams is is on the table. We saw it this week with Indianapolis and Denver, um, but that was with a, a Gimpy Peyton Manning and, and really one of the worst games we've ever seen from him. So uh, I don't see that happening, and I don't think you do either. <laughs> no. I mean, again, the Colts, they've really uh... – you know, going against uh, the first matchup when they had a playoff rematch. I mean, you look at the Kansas City game last year. I mean, that was a 23-7 game in Kansas City. They go home. They're down 28 points. It's 45-44. It's a completely different game. And, you know, even with Jamal Charles out after one drive. Then even, the I guess, the Bengals game, you could say, was a little similar, uh, just in the way the Colts dominated things and, uh, you know, the Denver game, again, week one, completely different. But, again, Denver was a completely different team. I mean, you know, you can't say Peyton Manning and Julius Thomas, who you know, had three touchdowns in week one, they weren't the same guys on Sunday. So, uh, again, the complete turnaround, though. And it's good to see that the Colts can, you know, turn around and learn from uh, past matchups. And, you know, people are going to say it's the AFC South. You know, that division sucks. But, again, I mean, I, I talked with Mike Chappelle about this uh, recently. Uh, you know, the, these, the Colts are the only team to go 12-0 and against their division uh, since realignment in 2002. So, I mean, no other team has been able to sweep the division two years in a row. And, you know, again, they've won every rematch in all three years. Uh, so, again, they've done a good job of preparing. Again, you always hear people say it's hard to beat a team twice, and usually they say good team. So, you know, that, you know take away most of these AFC South games. But, uh, you know, it's hard to beat someone twice because, you know, you got, you got to find ways to repeat your success or find new wrinkles to do something different. And the Colts have been able to do that. So, you know, I don't think it's going to be 42-20. I don't, I don't even think the Patriots are going to crack 35 again. I think, you know, it'll be lower scoring. And it's going to have to be for the Colts to pull off the upset. And, again, I just don't think, you know, if, the, if your idea is luck has to go up there and have an absolutely absurd – 400-yard, four-touchdown game to outdoor Brady, I think that's just a pipe dream. I don't think that's realistic. I think, you know, it's going to have to be because the defense steps up and gets some takeaways and wins a turnover battle and does a good job against the run. And, again, I think they will do a decent enough job against the run just because, again, Jonas Gray, what, he has done nothing since since that game. I mean, you don't even know if he's going to play. There's a healthy scratch. So, Again, I just think Robert Gronkowski is the guy that's going to be the damage maker. And, again, the Colts contained him decently in that last game until he broke free for that touchdown at the end, which, again, I think came after a great field. I think that was after the failed fourth down, which, you know, hopefully, again, like I said, hopefully Pagano has learned. Because I was reading my article I wrote about last year's game, and he had a fourth and one down 20 in the fourth quarter, and he punted. And, you know, he, he corrected himself after the game that he shouldn't have done that. So, you know, he had that fourth and ten inside his own forty in week eleven. He went four down fifteen, which no coach has done. When, you know, Oregon won't even do it on Monday night. So again, hopefully the Colts have learned from these mistakes in the past. And you know, luck threw one pick in the week eleven game of a pit ball. He threw one in the fourth quarter that was dropped interception. But again, you're down twenty two at that point. So I mean, again, hopefully they're learning. This is the fourth time against the Patriots. And hopefully it'll be a close game, but, you know, I still, in the end, think New England's going to win. In both of these games, the road team, you know, Green Bay and and Indianapolis, 
you need better coaching than you than you saw in the first first round. Uh, the Colts, you know, Bill Belichick absolutely outcoached Pagano in that matchup, and, and I think McCarthy got outcoached as well in in their week one loss. Uh, I don't think you need to have you know incredible, you know, just phenomenal coaching for me these teams to win. You don't need, yeah. You know, I I think expecting uh, Pagano to uh, outcoach Bill Belichick is is <laughs> another one of those pipe dreams. Um, but I think you can, I think we've seen from the Colts coaching staff over the last few weeks, we've seen some very good game plans and well-executed game plans. Uh, Green Bay, we've seen spots from Mike McCarthy where he, you know, he's, he's a Super Bowl winning coach. He can have his moments. Although we, we've also seen the, the downsides of, of Mike McCarthy and, and Dom Capers uh, over the years as well. But I think you need, you need better coaching days from those two teams as well. Uh, not necessarily dominating coaching days, but just better. You need to set your team up. Uh, better for success, and I think I think we will see that this time around in those rematches. They say it's so hard uh, for teams to to beat a team twice in a single season, and uh, we're gonna see we're gonna see if that's the case on Sunday. So should be fun. Should be uh, better matchups. We're hoping there'll be better matchups. Uh, Scott, what are your official picks? Let's go ahead and start with Seattle and Green Bay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Seattle wins the game. I mean, I. Think don't it will be a lot closer this time, but you know I think they could probably pull out a you know a twenty seven to twenty kind of game. And New England. And yeah, I mean I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think very similar. I mean, I'm maybe twenty seven twenty again. Just number I got. Just the kind of number that came up in my head. All right, so we're going with the home teams, and obviously, again, we talked about it last two years week in a row. Well. Number one seed. I know it. We talked about it last week as well. Uh, the number one or the the home teams in these playoffs, especially from the divisional round on, uh, have such a, a advantage um, just because of how well they've played at home. Uh, so again, we're going to see that again on Sunday. Uh, I'm going to refrain from picking the Colts game because I haven't picked any of their games uh, in the playoffs yet, and I don't want to jinx it. Uh, yeah, that should do it. All right. Well, we will see everybody again next week. Uh, we might trying to think if we're going to do a show next week or the week after, depending on, we'll have, we'll just have to wait and see. We'll only do one show before the Super Bowl. No need to do two, but we'll do, uh, we'll do one either next week or the week after in pre- preparation for the Super Bowl. All right. And eh, we might do two. I don't know. We'll see how it feels. <laughs> we might be back next week. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, Scott, you are on Football Outsiders and ESPN Insider. Football Outsiders, you mentioned the Colts-Patriots uh, preview will be up tomorrow. Anything else we should be looking at for you this week? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll probably write the – probably put up my general NFC preview on my blog on Saturday, but Aaron Schatz will have his uh, NFC championship preview up tomorrow. As well as my AFC and all right uh, and Scott's uh, blog. That's is that Kevin Cumberpress dot com or something like that. It's something like that. It's on my, it's on, underneath my Twitter profile. Everything's on Twitter. So go ahead. That's right. Twitter. You can follow Scott at f o underscore Scott Kazmar. Uh, you can follow me at Colts Auth a u t h underscore Kyle. I should get a better Twitter handle. I have to say that every time. Anytime I've gone on, I've done a few radio appearances the last few weeks of the playoffs and. They always try and say it, and they always mess it up. I I need a better Twitter handle. That's <laughs> that's my takeaway over the last three weeks. Um, so if you have a good Twitter handle for me, 
hit me up on Twitter. Of course, you have to find me with my bad Twitter handle first in order to do that. But hopefully, if you're listening to this podcast, you've, you've probably done that before. Uh, all right. You can find us both on Twitter, and we will see you next week or maybe the week after, something like that. Uh, hopefully, this week is a fun match of games for you, and we will uh, we will see you again next week. Thank you for listening. It's been a fun season, and uh, hopefully the ending is just as fun. Bye.